This is the Skelf Podcast, and I am Mark Belden. Skelf is to be found at www.skelf.org.uk. It's a virtual project space accessible to anyone, everywhere. Like a physical artist-run gallery, it's a space created and curated by artists, presenting work in different ways. It's not the documentation of an exhibition happening somewhere else. The site is the space, and the visitor is you on your computer or device. Exhibitions on Scalf happen quarterly, with each show curated by a different artist. This is the fourth episode of the accompanying podcast, and even at this point, I'm never sure exactly how everyone moves between the online exhibition and the podcast. Initially, I assumed that people would explore the main show on the Scalf site first, and then be intrigued to know more and seek out the interview with the curating artists. But I know myself as a listener to other podcasts, I've done the opposite, heard someone speak and then felt compelled to seek out the work mentioned. I imagine some people go back and forth, pausing and clicking between different windows. Perhaps some people, much like the main character in The Man Who Fell to Earth, have a huge bank of screens in their room and watch, listen and interact with everything all at once. If you'd like to get in touch and tell us the way you engage with the exhibitions or listen to this podcast, or if there's anything else, you can email us via podcast at skelf.org.uk. The new exhibition on Skelf is called Online Presence, spelt P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. And this show has been curated by Jesse Jetpacks. Jesse is a London-based artist who works across many mediums, including video, music, and digital works. I recently sat down with Jesse in her kitchen on a rainy October evening in London. Most of the work of the in the show is video, and um, I know you saw, or you mentioned that you saw James's work in a gallery context. I wonder, did you see any of the others in a gallery context, or? Um, so I saw quite a lot of them in a studio context. Okay. Um, on laptops, you know, in the artist studio, and like on on various university visits, you know, doing tutoring and stuff. And um, I saw Hannah's online, just a friend sent me a link when I was um, doing a show in Edinburgh. Okay, yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I think maybe James is is the only one that I saw in a gallery. Um, And I saw Tabitha's, one of Tabitha's pieces, um, not the piece that's in the show, but how I came across her work was when I was doing a panel discussion. And there was a collection of video works, and hers was in that, so that was a different context as well. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess it's a different experience, like, seeing it in the, the studio with the artist. Like, it's still the same thing you'd see in an online thing, but you're kind of experiencing it with them there. And yeah, I mean, I think... I remember when I was thinking about um, what to put in the show, um, about how... 
moved I was by some of the work that I saw in the studio setting and it was kind of an inspiration actually just in terms of um, how unnecessary the gallery framing was for those works to be meaningful to me like to be funny or poignant um, or interesting and even the idea that like they were maybe works in progress and just thinking how um, it stays with you and you see something that you really uh, that really resonates with you and sort of think oh that's just somebody's <clears throat> work in progress that they've like been kind enough to show me in their studio and I'm still thinking about it a few months later and as part like partly similar to how it feels to find things on the internet as well and not then not have like a um, like a published hierarchy of uh, completeness you know mm. depending on what platform you're seeing them on yeah because I, I guess I was thinking about the like <clears throat> between the gallery and then just sort of watching it on a laptop mm. or wherever um, like there's a kind of yeah, I guess there's, there's sort of like you miss you miss the sort of size and maybe the like high quality audio mm -hmm. of the of the uh, gallery or maybe like a contact with other works. But then you also like you sort of gain this like ability to kind of you know experience it at the right time or when you've got time to pay attention yeah. and you can if you really love it you can like watch it like yeah. ten times or that's you know, a really nice point actually like the idea of being able to see something when it's the right time for you you know like when you're feeling in the mood to actually be open to seeing something rather than when you've like gone across London because you feel like you have to squeeze going to a gallery into your free night that week yeah. because if you don't it's going to close the following week and you won't have time and if you don't see it then you know that pressure to go to galleries doesn't help necessarily with being emotionally receptive and also I'm not I'm not really sure that the audio in galleries is better than my audio at home because um, the noise of other people in the space especially in openings I mean I don't really think it's possible to see video works or performance works in openings and Probably similarly, paintings as well. There's pro probably a like a it probably obscures them to a degree. But I can barely ever hear a video work in an opening, and I sort of feel like it begs the question of going to them for video works. Mm. And because I make video work, I'm never really sure about inviting people to the opening because I feel like they won't hear it. Yeah, because there's also the thing like a lot of the design of gallery spaces is about a certain look mm. or especially especially like stripped back or kind of having these bare like exposed ceilings and then you you get in the middle of an opening and it's so like acoustically yeah. live that it's actually just people talking is like then echoing off. And oh yeah, like, yeah it's like the absolute absolute wrong acoustics for being able to hear um video work um and also you know the size thing like I've been to a a few really good shows with video where the size in the room was was really um, moving but I don't think it's necessary for work to be big for me to connect with it I think moving image especially like we're 
moving image and audio, we're almost like psychologically primed to be seduced by to go into it and so it doesn't really matter how big it is like I'm staring at that screen I've like gone right into the screen so I think a lot of the time the necessity of the gallery is quite questionable and well I guess some of the work is also um, like seeing it in this online way there's also something kind of I don't know maybe reflexive or like responding to the experience of viewing things on online or mm. um, being critical of uh, the online experience. I guess I was thinking of Tabitha's and like that, I'm sort of like now constantly thinking about the mm. fibre opti optic cables every time I go online. And oh yeah, yeah her, her video is really uh, special I think. Um, so well, okay so how I feel about criticality of being online is quite, I suppose, quite complicated because I think it makes sense to separate it into like the phenomenon and then the viewing experience for artwork. So I guess since I've already sort of said how I feel about um, the it not being necessary for video work to be particularly huge or how galleries aren't particularly audially um, suited for video work, then there's also like the social sort of element to galleries in terms of their exclusivity, like them being hard to get to, the fact that the internet can bring you like a huge mixture of voices and um, offerings and you can access them relatively easily. But then there's this kind of like idea of the internet as a kind of salve for um, hierarchy of uh, legitimacy of information or uh, who gets allowed in or how you can get there and uh, that's obviously not true either because the internet is regulated and moderated and gatekept and um, so what I really like about having Tabitha's work be quite explicit in that there is there are other sides to that coin. Um, it's just it. I wouldn't say it brings balance because it's not the only example, but it's such a um, an upfront example that also really uses like digital aesthetics. So it doesn't put itself outside of it and it's not like a criticism piece it's like a celebration piece and a work about what's possible and I think I really well I really prefer works that have like a nuanced balance you know they're not mm. necessarily just telling you to think something or criticizing or celebrating there's like a real mix and I think the show overall has that in the different artists representing, you know, there's works that sort of show um, ways of using digital interface or the internet as like a new creative space to access work. And then there's works that don't address it sort of directly at all that you find like a poetic space when you're online, which is really nice. And one of the things I enjoy the most about looking for work online. And then you've got works that are satirizing 
um, digital content and how that works and how it is exclusive um, and prejudice. And so the whole thing can't be really said to be a demonstration of a positive or a negative, mm -hmm. but like maybe an honest kind of embrace of, of the phenomenon. Well, and I'm just thinking about like Ria's piece because that's mm. almost that's quite poetic. But then yeah. it is like, oh, instead of like the computer and the online being this very dominant thing, it's sort of being, it's having almost a little like remembrance ritual, or it's yeah. having, um, it is quite it's quite vulnerable. Yeah, it's really sweet. <laughs> out in the water, like it's not gonna, it, like it's kind of, it becomes just this vulnerable object rather than yeah. Than, central I don't know yeah she really she's um you know made quite a lot of works that I think um really are really using the switching of vulnerabilities um ownership of um the internet or digital content or technology even and um you know it's it's neither one way or the other but the one that I chose is like you said it's very sort of sweet and almost like vulnerable little morning type um oh what's the word ritual for this technology um and i think it's really it works really well with how sort of simply simple and unframed it is mm -hmm. and i think you find that hard to do in a gallery because people can't help themselves but expect this extra information that explains something whilst you're also trying to experience that something as the first encounter that you have with it. Whereas online you can see something and then also find out about it if you want to or you know, there's the, not a compulsory framing or a, a feeling that there's a, a gap where the framing should be. I guess it's, it's kind of a, it's like a tricky thing with online because then mm. I guess the other side of that is there's just like this overwhelming amount of stuff and you're sort of reliant mm. on I guess partly like people you know mm. telling you about it yeah so you know to go look it up or mm. um, um, and I guess this project is something like scale in this show is like a way of like maybe bridging that like having that access and keeping things unframed mostly but yeah um but also kind of providing a selection of things maybe or mm. but, um yeah it's i really like um scalp for that reason and i think the framing for this is is the selection of works like that's the structure of the show and that's what provides balance and it doesn't it, it, like the when you see the different works it's not like they explain each other but they relate to each other because you're watching them in the same context you're watching one after the other or returning to watch or look at one in this in the same site and their positioning next to each other it creates a uh, like an abstracted framework, which I much prefer than like a printed textual framework. Mm. Um, like you made a, a real decision to keep the interface really 
simple so that, that you have the like the main page and then people just go into and like a layout of works and yeah I really um I, I really personally prefer simple interfaces because I get tired in my life and I like to be able to see things sort of laid out before me um but I think it's kind of symbolic for me about how good I think the works are that I do, I almost don't want to put like the names so that you're not clicking to look for someone you just click on it and then you get something and then you know hopefully you appreciate or enjoy that something that you're getting and you don't know what the next thing that you're getting is um, but it's possible for you to you know it's not like you don't know what the next thing you're getting is as in you have no control if you click on something and then you click back from it you just go back to the main homepage so you know where you've been and you know where you can go there's nothing mysterious about the interface but it it's so plain in that it's not really advertising what's underneath it um, I like the neatness of that yeah everybody sort of has a icon but it doesn't yeah. necessarily tell you what exactly the piece is going to be yeah I think a lot of the time it doesn't it's almost like would would be misleading but I, not on purpose um that's just what people sent me when I explained the concept of having the icons um I think it was quite fun actually for some people to make those for the show because it's just like something a little bit different and we're so used to making avatars for ourselves for um you know, our social media and like even my Gmail like requests a little picture that you oh, yeah. put and it comes in the corner of all the emails that you send and I mean I made some of them from screenshots from the videos, um so but not the works that are being shown. Okay. So yeah. none of them are advertising like what's underneath them. So it's it's kind of fun, I guess, like a cosmic advent calendar yeah, <laughs> you click yeah. on a window and you don't know what's behind it um, but also it's like there's like symbolism in there of you know space themes and like circles circles in a circle that's quite that's something I like um, just because s circles are maybe the best flat shape I'm just gonna okay. say yeah. that like yeah. <laughs> probably like strong opinion there. Okay. Well, um, why are they the best? It's just the most poetic. Like they're the shape of something more complicated for something that's not complicated. Like a like a flat shape. I don't mean like a three dimensional shape, but you know you've got like shapes that tessellate or you know squares and triangles and unusual shapes. But the circle is like the most simple but it's not the most simple at all it feels like a really feels like a shape with hidden depth you know like it's like a poetry shape because mm. you can't tessellate it but you can put them really close together and yeah it's mm -hmm. <laughs> not a very cohesive thought but you know obviously they go round and round and it's the shape of what the moon and the sun and the earth look like mm. from a distance and it's the shape of so many things that we sort of look at really intensely, like people's eyeballs or, you know, cross-sections of things. 
the cables and yeah. And they exist in the, this background of outer space or of stars. <laughs> or yeah, that's right. There's a show here, not just like geometry madness. Yeah, so the circles are arranged in a circle. I like it because there's no hierarchy there either then about like who's on the best position because I tried to pick my favourite point in a circle and I couldn't really. Like I was thinking 12 o'clock isn't even really the most prominent one like if you were thinking mm. where's the start of that circle you probably would say 12 because that's how we read clocks but it doesn't feel like there is a start of a circle so makes it easier to f to choose things without feeling like you're being forced into choosing them in an order like if it's a list mm. then you think well I'm going to start from the beginning of the list down but then three or four in you're like no I don't like being told what to do I'm going to pick the end one and then you forget where you were and that's how I feel when I'm picking things from lists. So, and nobody has to be like first or last or no, exactly. stuck in the middle or. Yeah. And then, well, I was also going to ask about some of the non-video work mm -hmm. in the show, like I guess like um, David's sketchbooks yeah. Yeah. and Yuming's photo series mm -hmm. that exists alongside her videos. Yeah. But um, do you think there's a similar? Is there something similar to the video works and the way you see them online or like the kind of access you have to these things or these images or? Yeah, okay, that's a good question. Because there are, um, so, Yuming's photos, Tabitha's essay, James's video work isn't really like a video. Um, Lydia's isn't a video and David's sketchbooks and then Shannon's isn't sort of for formatted like a video so there's a fair amount of non-video work um, but because of the differences between the mediums I guess the answer to the question would be different so like with essays I, I read things online quite a lot so I think they blend quite well into the expectation of being on a computer is that you're you know reading something's quite a normalized thing but photo essays I think or for, you know collections of photos they're a bit different you know and they don't um, face a lot of the same problems that videos do in galleries so maybe it's a bit more not risky, but like I thought about it when I was uh, deciding to include them um, in terms of like, um, is this going to be okay for those images? Like, are they going to survive being in this context? Um, but I really wanted to put them in because they are such a wonderful counterpoint to the videos. Because I think Yuming's visual perspective is just so interesting and David's um, sketchbooks like I really I really like sketchbooks and I wanted to show um, the relationship between his digital work and his um, like hand-drawn work because we were talking about it and there's just a lot of interesting things going on with the idea of like 
flatness and how and um, I guess I keep saying the word hierarchy, but like you know the hierarchy of um, preciousness of what is precious and how sketchbooks are often considered somehow more or like physical works are considered more um, I'd say like imbued with a kind of spirit of earnestness mm. in a way that digital works are, they're sometimes not granted this even though they're made by people because they're made by people via computers there's a real disconnect in what person is capable of doing on a computer and what a computer is doing and I'd argue there's a massive misplaced suspicion about like whether people control computers mm-hmm. um, there's obviously we control computers but you know people will draw and paint and without knowing how a pen is made or without making their own paint and the question of the legitimacy of the marks they make is never there but then people will make images on computers and the idea that the computer somehow made part of that image more than the paint made part of the painting because you don't know how the computer works that comes up a lot and it's kind Mm. of like that's that's a fun (laughs) that's a fun thought but it doesn't really make that much sense um and so um david was saying that people would say that the drawings despite lacking a background like have more depth but the digital works which are made in a 3d program designed to simulate depth and kind of has a a depth because you can export those objects and they contain the information to that relate to 3d space so you can print them and they are actually 3d so they're more much more they have much more depth than a drawing but they look flatter apparently and I think that's really interesting and this whole conversation sort of resulted in wanting to put digital sketchbooks and normal sketchbooks together and then the sketchbooks are put in the position that the digital works are put in when you take a digital work to a crit in art school you know there's always going to be a bit of that reaction about it not being like real potentially there's a loss as well if you put a sketchbook online it's not as Mm. real because you can't touch it or something so I think it's interesting what that does Um, and like that's very that page is very of the show Mm -hmm. Um, and so I can't really speak on like how that would work in in any other space than that show like okay, I, yeah. you know how that would work in the gallery but i think you know it's not obviously the gallery is not the only space people show work like the art school um environment is like a big part of what goes into all galleries so that whole sketchbook digital sketch thing i thought was really interesting and then this answer is really long but then i don't want to um, no no it's quite fine there's so much um more in there so like Lydia's work is I don't know how you would even show that in a gallery and it has a sort of interactive element where you have to go into it and keep going into it and into it and there's like a really interesting sort of sense of discovery and intimacy in that which I think is like very thematic in her work 
as well in a like in her other works and and the work itself that's in the show and so that definitely lends itself really well to um this scalp because it you know as an online gallery the reason that I took my main inspiration point to be like the internet as a medium um an inspiration and a context is is because that's hopefully sort of like propelling you know furthering the um experience of being in scalp because all works are considered in that way and that's why James's work um I think he's shown part of it um for scalp weekend maybe I I can't remember but I saw it in a gallery and it was like screens that you had to walk around to, to see you know the audio is playing in one space so it's one audio and then it's two screens and you're walking from one to the other so to discover them both you're you're moving around it and you can't see them both at the same time and I thought that would be really interesting online and so he made it so it's the other way so you know you're you're rotating the space to see both of them. Okay, yeah. And um yeah, that's an interesting one because I've seen, you know, I've seen it in the gallery and I thought it worked really well. And then I've seen it in the digital space and I think that's one of the ones that um is affected by the context of the show, you know, in terms that like you might watch one of the video works and feel like it's like watching things on YouTube because you're watching a video you're in that space but then when you watch his because you are clicking a- around it you're kind of brought back into the idea that you're in a virtual gallery which um i don't know in a physical gallery there are instances when being reminded that you're in a gallery can be um can be powerful for the work as well mm-hmm. but they're very few and far between so i'm not sure if like being aware that you're in a digital gallery is benefiting the work but i i don't think that it's taking away from it it's just an interesting observation and um cara's is also like specific to the internet as well because she's created a her own virtual gallery which is like really technically accomplished and um and very interesting and then you go into it and you can navigate that so when you click on her one it takes you to her digital gallery and then inside okay, that yeah. there's virtual sculptures and you know she's very um it's, it's all very cohesive um and it's not really like anything else you know it's it doesn't feel like a video and it doesn't feel like how a physical gallery feels either so it's quite um unique to um like being online I think I had a, a sort of like unformed question <laughs> sort of see if I can get to it. I, I guess I was thinking about um older video art and and like going back and watching it and like lots of it is very like technically rough and mm. even if it used expensive equipment for the time it's mm. sort of like barely legible and then the sort of that contrast with now that like almost anyone can make like 
can uh, can do video editing at mm. home and just like any sort of even like the camera phones are like yeah. quite good and there's like some like just posting something on YouTube you could have like a higher level of mm. um, well at least resolution or sound quality or whatever and um, there were all these sort of really like really good ways of dealing with those limitations or sort of you know whether it's sort of green screen or found images or animation mm. like um uh like rachel's mm. piece or or some i don't i don't know that one thing that's really um fun about technologically um made work is that there is a feeling that anyone could do it but that's no more or less true than anything else in terms of you know some of the work technically is quite complex and sure probably anyone could do it if they had the time and the skills to mm. do it that like I, th I think mentioning Rachel's is good because it kind of helps me know where you're at just in how she sort of like so brilliantly uses um, like very, oh, I, was, I really want to say like low jarring, like there's something so friendly about mm. how she's made it and um, with Grace as well, like it's very ready for you to understand. Like, not that we're always thinking about how things are made, but sometimes when things are really um, complex, they can be overwhelming. Um, but, like, how familiarity of, like, um, actually both of their works is so, like, warm and funny and relatable. That is one of the things that's so nice about being online is this accessibility to creating content and how it cuts through a lot of the... Um, uh, what, like, a, I'm trying to think of a polite word for... Like, it cuts through a lot of the nonsense um, and pretense of what what is accomplished because it's, like the sort of spirit of something or the the storytelling of something that's compelling and then the feeling that it wasn't ruined somehow by like laboring the point through like some kind of showiness mm. but then in the same breath like there are works there that are like um and I you know I think Actually, that's one of the reasons I like to put the sketchbook in because David's kind of shows... Oh, and Shannon as well, like her... It's, there's experimental work in there. So this show has artists at different stages in their career, so it's a real mix in that respect. And then the works they've made are a mixture of, like, works that I've seen that I just thought these are perfect and then experimental works that are developing or, you know, maybe will be changing... And this is the the first time it's been put together, and because it's an online platform, like it's a space for experimentation, and um, the availability availability of technology and the acceptance of these different aesthetics are like both um, really good points to you know 
they both really enable this kind of like freedom of creativity that you find online. I guess as someone who makes work, mm. it, is there were the were the things in the pieces that you, I guess I don't know the right phrase, were drawn to because mm. because you'd sort of dealt with sort of the thinking about making your own work or um... that like I was drawn to because thematically or conceptually I've explored similar things or do you mean like like literally how would I make it or yeah maybe that maybe that's just me I, I think I like I think sometimes I just get excited about how things are made mm. that it's not I mean not so that the other yeah aspects of the thought other thought behind it isn't important but sometimes it's like mm. um yeah I think it's natural to be excited about how things are made for sure and um, but then it's also nice to have mystery. I mean, I think what I think there were so many things that drew me because it's difficult, like over having like an overview of an idea that relies on combining other people who you, who you are not, like their yeah, yeah. creative outputs, then how you're choosing them and like what what they make how that fits together then other things are all retrospective or post-rational so I mean just to be literal in terms of like the question is like was I drawn to then that wouldn't necessarily be possible just in the way that I approach it conceptually it's that um is the feeling of things like okay. and the feeling the feeling of things next to other things but having said that and having compiled them then there is like an interest in how people have made things but because I've made video the and digital works like I'm mostly interested in things that I don't think I could make um, mm. just in terms of making so it's like more specifically nerdy and that's not really the case for the majority of the artists in the show um, like as in I can understand how they made it most of the work um, but the surprise and the poignancy of the work that's always what gets me when I'm thinking about like how it's not how you made it but it's like how do you think think with your brain like how is your brain made that those connections and how have yeah. you how have you made me feel feelings and l laugh and think and it's nice to not to know that it would never be possible for you to answer those questions either like that's like the, the magic of consciousness and stuff so it gets I think there is like a quite a, a spiritual sort of um tendency in how I relate to art and what I think it does for me and that's probably why there's quite a lot of um, pieces that have kind of like poetic uh, nature to them you mm. know like a mysterious poeticness um, and yeah like so that if 
if that's going to be an answer to your question, then I suppose it's like a divergent well, maybe, well, maybe answer. Also, it was also the kind of, maybe it was like the flip side of the question I asked that yeah. when the making is kind of transparent, but it does something you never expected it to do. Yeah. Like that, that's the exciting thing. In yeah, so. like you can get really really sophisticated with cameras but there's nothing that mysterious about using a camera to record you but what you decide to do in front of that camera or what you put in front of it and then how you cut it together like I mean it's such a dynamic medium though that's video and performance anything sort of like time-based is just so like it for me it has always transcended like the banality of technicalities I'm interested mm. in technical stuff but not I'm not moved by it you know things can be achieved in numerous ways but um, it, because time is moving as you're experiencing it you're never left with you're not left looking at something and wondering because it's moving with you in the same way that you might be if you're looking at a sculpture, you've got a lot of time to agonise over whether it's shiny or dull or like if you touched it, if it would be cold or squidgy. You can't rest on things that are moving, if you know what I mean. That's all for this episode of the Scalp Podcast. I'd like to thank Jesse Jetpacks for taking the time to sit down and talk about the exhibition. Online presence will be on Scalf from the 23rd of October 2019 until the 21st of January 2020 and archived thereafter. The show will feature work by Yuemeng Ge, Tabitha Rezer, David Reynolds, Hannah Tuliki, Ria Martin, Rachel Povey, Grace Payne, Lydia Kononenko, Kara Chin, James Irwin, and Shannon Byram. Music on this episode is courtesy of the Cleaners from Venus and the Free Music Archive. I am Mark Belden. I'd like to send a big thank you to Claire Undy and Lizzie Munn at Skelf. This production is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. Skelf is at www.skelf.org.uk, and all the past exhibitions are archived there. You can email us at podcast at Listen or subscribe to the Scalf podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 5 will accompany the next exhibition in January 2020. Until then...